Welcome to the Apostles Houston podcast, and thanks for listening. As a community following Jesus in Houston, we want to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do the kinds of things Jesus did. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, we invite you to join us for worship each Sunday at 10 a.m. in Houston Heights. For more information, visit us online at ApostlesHouston.org. morning we are kicking, uh, well, it's our second Sunday, I'm sorry, in our summer series, but it still feels like summer's kind of getting up and getting running. Uh, I don't know if it feels like that for you, um, but the heat definitely helps it feel like summer. Um, and so I'm excited this summer. We're going to be starting uh, this series called Encounters with Jesus. And uh, our hope is uh, to look at these moments in the life of Jesus where we see real people encountering the real Jesus. Um, that as we do that, we might draw near to this Jesus that we find in the Gospels, and as we do, that we might understand his heart for people, and specifically, my prayer is that you would understand his heart for you uh, more and more. Uh, we all desperately need Jesus, and so that, that's why we are gathered here today, because we need Jesus. That's why we are trying to live life together as a community following Jesus, because we are absolutely convinced that we need him and we want to know him more and more. So that's our real aim this summer, to know him more and more. Um, And so I just want to invite you to grab a Bible and open to Luke chapter 19, the words I just read from verses 1 through 10, uh, where uh, Dr. Luke captures this amazing moment in the life and ministry of Jesus. And we're going to take a look at this. Last week, we looked at Jesus' encounter with a, a man who was paralyzed and today we get this another, another glimpse, this powerful uh, picture of, uh, of what it was like to encounter Jesus in Luke chapter 19, verse 1 through 10. And it's this account that may be familiar uh, to you if you grew up uh, in the church or familiar with some Bible stories. This is one that a lot of people tend to know, Jesus and the story of Zacchaeus. And so my hope is that this morning what we're going to do is we're going to step by step through this account And my hope is that it'll come to life maybe in a fresh way, if you've never heard it, and if if you've heard it before, that it'll also come alive for you in a fresh way, that you might see it with new eyes and see Jesus with new eyes. So with your uh, your Bible open to Luke chapter 19, we're just going to go verse by verse through this story and talk about what we see and what we discover about Jesus this morning. So verse 1 says that Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. He was passing through. So a couple of things stand out to me here right off the bat. First, Jesus was on the move. He, he was constantly moving around the countryside and moving around Galilee and back and forth from Jerusalem. And so Jesus was traveling, and it says that he's traveling through the city of Jericho. Jericho was an important city for trade and for governing, and it was located on one of the main roads in ancient Israel. Uh, But we're told that he's not going there, he's actually passing through there. So it begs the question, where is he going? If he's passing through Jericho, where is is he headed uh, on that day? It's interesting that he had no apparent plans to stop and to stay there based on this opening sentence. And what's interesting about that is that if someone like Jesus had come to a city as important as Jericho, uh, there would have been certain traditions. There would have been certain things that would have marked the visit of someone like Jesus. Jesus is further along in his ministry than we read last week. He would have been well-known. He would have had a following. Uh, And so his visit might have been anticipated by members of this city. And so Jesus 
uh, if he had followed custom, would have been greeted by a large group of people on the outside of the walls of the city, uh, including the elders and the religious leaders. They would have gathered out and they would have walked with him into the city. And at that point, they would have hosted some kind of kind of welcome banquet, you might imagine, where they would greet him and honor him and maybe even give him some space to teach in the city. And so we get that at the beginning here, right? Jesus is coming into the city, and there's a sense that there's these crowds going out to meet him, and they're gathering around him as he's walking through the city. Um, But to the disappointment and, I would say, to the offense, as we'll see, of many, Jesus is making it clear he's not actually stopping here in Jericho. He is passing through. The question then again is why? Why is he passing through? If you'll look back just a little bit into chapter 18, verse 31, we're actually told that Jesus is on his way somewhere else. Where is he headed? He's headed to Jerusalem. Yeah, he's headed to the city of Jerusalem. Uh, Why is he headed to Jerusalem? Well, Jesus has a mission. He has a purpose to his life, and he plans to fulfill that purpose, a mission to bring salvation to the world by his death on the cross the hope of life with God through his resurrection, and peace, peace that comes by way of a new and eternal kingdom that he will establish on earth as it is in heaven. This had all been foretold. Uh, An ancient prophecy, it had been foretold that a king, a savior king, would come and would reign from the city of Jerusalem. And so to fulfill this mission, Jesus' mission, he is going to Israel's holy city. And so whatever happens next, the author, Luke, wants us to see what happens here in Jericho in that context, in the picture, the big picture of what Jesus is doing, his mission of salvation. And so what happens next because of that, because he's passing through, because he has this greater mission, he's on his way to fulfill, what happens next is totally unexpected. Look at verse 2, what it tells us. It says, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. All right, so let's stop there. What are we told about this man? Three, three things. What are we told? First, we're told his name, so he gets a name. All right, so that helps me connect when I get a name. I go, okay, there's this guy. His name was Zacchaeus. All right, so what's the second thing we're told? We're told what he does, and what does he do? He's the chief tax collector. Is he any old tax collector? No, he's the chief. He's the top guy for the city of Jericho, which is a substantial tax base, right? And then third, we're told what? He was rich. He was rich. All right, small facts, but very important as we kind of try to understand what this encounter with Jesus means. And so they reveal a lot. Let's look at each one in turn. First, he was the chief tax collector. Zacchaeus represented the occupying Roman Empire in the city of Jericho. Uh, Rome had ruthlessly subjugated the Jewish people and put people like Zacchaeus, who were Jews, in charge of extracting money from their own people, from his, uh, his own family, from his own tribe. So here is Zacchaeus, a traitor to his own people, to his own family, to his faith. He's aligned, in other words, with his oppressors who had murdered and destroyed and intimidated his people. So when we read chief tax collector, don't just think IRS. (laughs) Think oppressive. Think traitor. 
This is a man in Jericho who was hated, who was hated chiefly among all those who were hated. Second thing we're told is that he's rich. So he's a tax collector who's gotten rich. So not only is he a traitor, he's taking advantage of his position and his power. He's abusing it. The money that Rome requires, he's taking that money, and then he's getting a cut above and beyond what he asked to turn over to Rome. That's how he's become rich. So not only is he a traitor, he's a corrupt, he's a a morally bankrupt man. Zacchaeus, in other words, is about as far away from God as anyone you might imagine in the city of Jericho. Money is his God, extortion his method, material comfort his reward. He has power, he has wealth, he has made a shrewd calculation in the world system, and he is, by all worldly definitions, a success. In other words, Zacchaeus is the last person in Jericho that you would expect to be interested in a poor, itinerant, religious man, a preacher, a man named Jesus, which is what makes the next thing that happens so shocking. Look at verse 3. And he, that's Zacchaeus, was seeking to see who Jesus was. He was seeking to see who Jesus was. This is shocking. Zacchaeus, the the chief tax collector in the city, desperately wants to see this Jesus. Not just to lay eyes on him, but we're told to see who he was. We're not told why he wants to see Zacchaeus. We're not given any of that detail. Maybe it was because he'd heard about this man. There was a buzz about Jesus and he just wanted to see, why is this guy so popular? Maybe it was more than that. Maybe it was something that he felt stirring within him that made him go that day and and pursue an opportunity to see Jesus. It's not clear, but I would say what is clear is that whether Zacchaeus is aware of it or not, God is doing something in his life that is drawing him to the person of Jesus. Something made him want to see who Jesus was. There are people in my life, there are people in your life, who by all outward appearance have no interest in Jesus. They have no interest in things related to Christianity or to the church, who seem by outward appearance to have everything they need. They don't need anything that Jesus seems to offer. They have financial security. They have a great job. They have a seemingly great marriage, great kids, a great house. Everything looks great. And they're doing it without any organized religion or faith. They have a content and happy life. But what I think the story of Zacchaeus maybe challenges for us when we see that and we think that is that despite all the visual evidence that we might see in someone's life, that God may be doing something in that person's heart that we cannot see to draw them to the person of Jesus. The truth is that while they might never publicly acknowledge it, privately, personally, every single person is longing for an encounter with God. They were made for life with God. 
And they're trying to fill that with all kinds of other things, but they long for that at the core of who they are. And so that day, Zacchaeus felt that longing in some way, and that longing led him to want to see Jesus. But there was a problem. What's the problem? He can't see Jesus, right? And we're told he can't see Jesus. Uh, Look at verse three again. He says he wanted to see Jesus, but on account of the crowd, he could not because why? He was small in stature. I love that translation, right? All right, so we're, we're, we're recognizing that he has a physical impediment, a personal physical impediment to seeing Jesus in this moment. He can't see over the crowd because he's small in stature. So he runs on ahead. This is his solution. He runs on ahead. He climbs up into a sycamore tree to see him uh, but because Jesus is about to pass that way, it says. Now, this is where... Um, our cute Bible stories of Zacchaeus become really unhelpful, <laughs> right? We, we kind of have, the, if, if you grew up in the church, you have these kind of things that start popping in your head now of, of this cute little man running down the street and he's climbing up into a tree and, uh, and it's all got this kind of sentimental kind of veneer to it. I just want to disabuse us of that sentimentality when it comes to what's happening here. So let me try to help explain what is actually taking place. The crowds are in the way because he's too short. He can't see over them. But that's not the only barrier that the crowds create. The crowds are actually a barrier that's fraught with danger, right, for a man like Zacchaeus. This is why I say that. The crowds were a barrier between Zacchaeus and Jesus that he was keeping his distance. Why didn't he just push through the crowd and get to the front? He was staying behind them. That's why he couldn't see over them. He was staying behind them because he has to be mindful of his relationship with this crowd. That's why we have to keep in mind that he's the chief tax collector and he's rich. Are the crowds a safe place, in other words, for a man like Zacchaeus? No. In fact, they're really dangerous. And it's not just the threat of jeers or hard elbows as he tries to make his way through the crowd. If he were to accidentally get trampled in a crowd like this, no one would mourn. If uh, a zealot, a Jewish revolutionary were to come up and, and give him a stick with a knife in the back and he dropped dead, that man would easily disappear into the crowd. The crowd, in other words, is a threat It's a dangerous place, and he can't see Jesus. So he's keeping his distance behind the crowd. And so that's why he runs up ahead. He gets out in front of the crowd. He's away from this crowd, and in that moment, he can actually find a place, a vantage point, where he can see who this Jesus was. And what does he find? What does he choose? He chooses a tree. Now, this is really interesting. This is kind of some cultural context to help us understand this. We know from ancient Jewish texts that there were laws about what kinds of trees you could plant in what kinds of places. And so it's somewhat significant that this is a sycamore tree. It's not just any tree. It's a tree that tells us, in some sense, potentially where this is taking place. It's documented, in other words, that sycamore trees and fig trees were planted outside the walls of the city, not within. And so what you see, again, taking all this together, Jesus is passing through, remember, he's not staying, he's passing through the city. And as he's passing through, Zacchaeus, realizing he's not going to stop, 
uh, is running out to the outside of the city where there's no crowd yet, finding a tree where he can climb up and get a look at this Jesus. In other words, there's a reason that Luke is telling us all of these particular details, I think. He's careful to tell us the kind of tree. He's telling us where it is. He's telling us he ran ahead of the crowd. And so Zacchaeus climbs the tree, not just to see Jesus, but in some ways to avoid being seen. The tree, he thinks, is a safe place, in other words, to observe this Jesus. Again, I I just kind of step back from this and think about the people in my own life, Um, people who perhaps want to, to get a look at Jesus but don't feel like they have a safe place in order to do that. What I mean by that is for many people in our lives, the church is not a safe place in order to observe Jesus. At least in their experience, it hasn't been a safe place. And I say that knowing that we're a very friendly church. And this is a church, I think, that welcomes people as well as any church I've ever been a part of. And I constantly hear that. Um, But I think it's easy to forget that if you just show up here on any given Sunday uh, for the first time, it can be very intimidating to walk into a community where you don't know anyone um, that kind of makes you pause and think, I'm not sure I actually want to do this. And I think it's exacerbated not only by people's experience, negative experience of the church, but by our cultural moment. The way the church is characterized is a place of hatred and a place of bigotry and a place of regressive thinking. And so people who have been wounded by the church and hear this narrative from the culture, um, they might think the church is not a safe place to observe this Jesus. And so one of the questions I think, you know, that I, I want us to ask as followers of Jesus is how are we as a church creating opportunities for people who are not here with us this morning to encounter this Jesus that we are here for? How are we creating space free from judgment, space free from pressure, free from space where people feel overwhelmed or threatened, a safe space to encounter this Jesus in the context of a worshiping community through his word and through his spirit. I think the church has a real opportunity in this cultural moment. We are called the body of Christ. And it's not just because we need to be here that we're a part of this body. It's because there are others who are not here that need this body. And so as we gather devoted to this Jesus, this creates a space where we can invite people to encounter him too. And so I want us to be a church that thinks carefully about that, not just uh, in our own lives personally, but also as a church community. Where is the space within our community where people can encounter this Jesus? We want to see people see Jesus, and we want to see people encounter him in a way that they actually can know him. So look what happens next, verse five. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to uh, Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. Come down from the tree, for I must stay at your house today. And so he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they, the crowd, saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the, the guest of a man who is a sinner. 
All right, some, some amazing things happening here. So first, I just want to point out, how beautiful and how powerful is it that Jesus calls him by his name? He looks up in this tree and he says, Zacchaeus. Not, hey, you. Hey, guy. Hey, sport. Zacchaeus. Now, I don't know how he knows Zacchaeus' name. It could be miraculous. It could be that the Spirit just reveals Zacchaeus' name. It could be that Zacchaeus has been spotted in the tree by the crowd, right? And there are jeers going up, mocking him. And so he hears Zacchaeus' name. However Jesus knows it, what stands out is that he says his name. So just imagine how different this experience, this encounter is for Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, who walks everywhere in the city and looks in people's eyes and only sees hatred and contempt, now, in this posture of vulnerability, exposed in a tree, sees this rabbi Jesus look at him, make eye contact with him, and not a ring of contempt in his voice. And he says, Zacchaeus. He says, Zacchaeus. In other words, I see you. I see you, and I want to be with you. Incredible what happens here when Zacchaeus encounters this Jesus. Jesus said, in other words, <laughs> with all the affection in his voice and all the hospitality in his eyes, he says, if I could spend time with one person today on, in this city that I was passing through, you know who it is? It's you, Zacchaeus. You're changing my plans. I want to spend time with you. And so he invites Zacchaeus down and he says, I want to go to your house. What's the safest place for Zacchaeus in the entire city? His own home. Jesus meets him right where he is. He goes right into his own home and he spends time with Zacchaeus. Now what's interesting is what happens around this little encounter. All the people who were excited that Jesus had come to the city, what's their response? They grumble. They grumble. Why? Because Jesus, first, they're upset. He's passing through. He didn't, he didn't honor us by staying or meeting with the elders or, or any of us. He could have stayed at any of our houses. So they're offended. And on top of that offense, now he's going to do what's worse than that. He's going to go back into town and he's going to spend time at Zacchaeus' house, the chief tax collector, the guy who's gotten rich as a traitor, betraying his own people. Zacchaeus is the wrong person, Jesus. Don't you realize that? They grumble. He's the wrong guy to focus your attention on. I've been uh, in church my whole life. I was born and raised in an amazing church. My parents loved me and make sure I heard about Jesus as a small child. And I'm just gonna tell you, being around the church for 48 years now, I've heard my fair share of grumbling in the church. And there's all kinds of grumbling. You know, and some of it happens when certain kinds of people show up in church. People who don't belong. People who can't carry their weight. People who don't vote the right way. People who don't talk the right way or dress the right way. People who have different backgrounds than us. People who have different skin color than me different political views. Their personality just drives me crazy, and so I grumble. 
There's all kinds of grumbling that takes place in the church. Far too often when we, when we encounter people who are considering Jesus, because of where they're coming from, it rubs us the wrong way. It makes us uncomfortable. It stretches us. And so we end up responding less like Jesus and more like the crowd. And I think what we see here is we see the heart of Jesus for the outsider being welcomed in. And we want that heart, and we need Jesus to give us that heart, and he will, and he has. And we can begin to respond that way. Again, in our cultural moment right now, it is an angry, harsh, and device experience out there in the world right now. And the church should be different. The church should feel different. It should look different. It should be a place for people in our lives, whether they're atheist or agnostic, Muslim, Jewish, Hindu, whether they're spiritual or not, radically progressive, radically conservative. I don't care where they're coming from. The church should be a place of honesty and integrity and grace and mercy and compassion and a place where people encounter real people who are following a real Jesus. They should see Christ in us. And so at Apostles, we don't want to grumble. We don't want to be a people who don't welcome certain people but welcome others. We want to welcome all people, no matter where they are on their spiritual journey. Welcome them into our lives, into our homes, and into our community. We want this to be a safe place where anyone, and I mean anyone, who wants to see who this Jesus is, is welcome anyone. Look what happens when that takes place. Look what happens when Jesus creates this safe place for Zacchaeus to actually see who he is. In verse 8, it says, Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Um, Before uh, the kids are dropped off in nursery and toddlers and, uh, and everything gets started. Uh, Sarah, artist, our children's director, she prays uh, with our volunteers. And as we were praying this morning, we were praying through this passage, she just made this observation I thought was so important. She said, it really stands out to me that Jesus never says to Zacchaeus, okay, here's what you need to do. You need to take everything you've stolen and you need to give it all back. And not just give all of it back, you need to give more than you stole back. In other words, he never prescribes a response to Zacchaeus. What we see here is a raw, real response to the gospel, to an encounter with Jesus. Zacchaeus, in other words, is truly transformed at a heart level. And then it works itself out in real time in his life in a way that shocks those around him. What's the thing that matters the most to Zacchaeus up to now? What's he built his whole life on? Money. He sacrificed everything for money and financial security and for power. And now, what does he do as he encounters Jesus in one afternoon? <laughs> he gives it all back. You see, when you encounter Jesus, right, all the world has to offer, all the powers of this world, whether they're Rome or anything else, all the idols in your life, fall away in comparison. Jesus captivates your life and you give everything to him. And that's what we see with Zacchaeus. 
He gives away his money to the poor, four times what he cheated people of. Uh, if he had cheated people, even one out of every eight people in, in the town, for example, just thinking through this statistically, he's broke. He's now broke, right? He's given everything away. Zacchaeus gets to see Jesus, and what happens when he gets to see who Jesus is? It transforms his life. Not only that, it transforms an entire city because of Christ. Ripples of justice and mercy go out from Zacchaeus that no one could have predicted. And every person in the city is blessed by what God has done in this one man's heart. A man most of them grumbled about and thought was beyond God's grace. But Jesus knew he wasn't, that he wasn't beyond God's love. Verse nine, Jesus said to him, today, today Zacchaeus, salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. In case there's any doubt, Jesus puts a nice bow on it at the end. This is why I've come, is to seek and save the lost, including and especially the Zacchaeuses of the world. The people in your life who seem like they don't want anything to do with Jesus, who seem so far from believing in him, the reality is they may be much closer than you think. Much closer. God may be secretly at work in their lives and they may be this close to seeing who Jesus truly is. And if they could see him, their lives would be transformed. If they could put their faith in him, it would change not only them, but those around them, their family, their business. It could change a whole city. The truth is the story of Zacchaeus is actually our story, isn't it? No matter what twists and turns our spiritual journeys have taken, no matter what things in life we thought would give us fulfillment, our career, money, power, love, sex, on and on, if we were followers of Jesus today, it's because we were lost. And now he has found us. He has called us by name. He knows your name. And he's called you to himself. And it's changed you forever. And so we're grateful. It's why we're here. It's why we're a part of this community. We're grateful and why we want to be with him, become like him, why we worship him and do life together and why we want others to know this Jesus. And so last, like last week, I wanna invite you, just in, in reflecting on this, I wanna encourage you, one, to go back and read through these 10 verses on your own and just continue to ask the Lord Jesus to help you see him more and more and more and that he might move your heart, that he might give you a heart that would seek and save the lost. We are his body, we are his people. Who can you pray for? Who can you invite over for dinner? Who could you invite to a life group meal night? Who could you invite to our Wednesday night meal and summer discipleship class? Who, in other words, are the Zacchaeuses in your life that God has put around you who seem far from God but are desperately hungry for Jesus? I wanna pray for us and ask that God would just continue to stir our hearts. Lord Jesus, would you um, not let this be uh, something we leave here and consider for a few moments. But Lord, I pray that you continue to do two things. Lord, would you remind us that we, like Zacchaeus, were lost and we've been found. 
Lord, we were dead and we have been saved into life. Lord, how much we have to be grateful for because of what you have done in our lives. You have come to save us. Lord, you've raised us from the dead and given us life in your spirit. And so, Lord, we are filled with gratitude and filled with joy this morning because you are our Savior King. And Lord, I pray that that love would spill out of our lives, would overflow from our hearts to those around us. And Lord, we pray right now for those in our lives, the Zacchaeuses in our lives that seem far from you, but Lord, maybe very near indeed. Lord, I, I just suspect there's a person that's come to mind for each person in this room. And so Lord, we just pray over those Zacchaeuses and we pray that you would help us to love them, to see them, to invite them into safe places, to talk about this Jesus who's changed our lives and to let the Holy Spirit draw them to the one true Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray all that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks again for listening. We hope this resource has been helpful to you. If you have questions or are just looking for more information, you can check out our website at apostleshouston.org.